My name is Timothy Atik, and I'm the director of Breakaway Ministries out of College Station, Texas, on the campus of Texas A&M University. And I'm so excited. I truly am so excited to be here with uh, you guys here at Clemson University. I, I hate that I love and respect you guys. Like, that's a, I'm just going to admit it. Like, I have mad respect for your school. I have mad respect for your football team and your coach. And I hate that I kind of love you guys and uh, cheer for you guys when you guys have not treated us well. <laughs> so anyway, it's great to be here with you. And uh, I have heard about what God is doing through Clemson FCA. I've heard about it for years. And so I'm so glad that I've just gotten to leave College Station and come here to just see it for myself. So uh, I want to start just by telling you a story of something that happened several years ago on Good Friday, the Friday before the Easter. I was living in Austin, Texas at the time, and I was working at a church, and my church decided to do a joint Good Friday service with several other churches in Austin. And so all of these churches converged on the convention center in downtown Austin. And so I loaded up my sweet white Buick minivan with my wife and my son Noah, who was two years old at the time, and we made our way to downtown Austin. And we went into the Good Friday service, and uh, my son Noah was very vocal at times when it probably wasn't the most helpful and conducive to the service for him to be vocal. And so we made the executive decision as his parents that we and everyone else would enjoy the service best if we watched it on the TV monitors in the lobby. And so we went out in the lobby and we began to watch the Good Friday service on the TV monitors And we were really the only people out there. There was one guy way down there, but we gave our son Noah a ball, and he just started playing catch with himself. And so he was occupied, and we were able to enjoy the service. And I will never forget, as we're sitting there watching the service, this guy walks in, and he's wearing a hat. And on his hat, it says, I heart Jesus. And I was like, man, that hat's really helpful. Because if you're ever wondering if someone loves Jesus and their hat says it, you don't even have to ask. It's like, I bet that guy loves Jesus. But I will never forget this experience because he walks in and he's about to walk past us. But when he gets even with us, he stops, he turns, he looks at me and says, hey, do you love Jesus? I was like, man, if only I'd worn a hat that says it, he wouldn't have even needed to ask. But I knew my answer to that question, and I told him that, yes, I do, in fact, love Jesus. Unfortunately, that was like the climax of the conversation, and it was all downhill from there. Because this guy went on to tell me, he said, you know what, I wish they would let me lead this Good Friday service, because all those people in there, they're a bunch of false prophets. And I was like, my pastor is helping lead this service. I should probably ask him if he's a false prophet. If he is, I might need a new job. But he then went on to tell me, he said... The reason that Jesus came to earth was to show us how we can live perfect lives so that we can then go to heaven. And uh, I didn't agree with that at all because I know myself and I know that I'm very imperfect, but I believe I'll spend eternity with God, not because of my perfection, but because of the perfection of Jesus Christ that has been credited to my account through my faith 
in trust in what he's accomplished on the cross. Uh, I made the unfortunate mistake of letting this guy know that I didn't agree with him. And so it just kind of started this back and forth conversation where he's like, well, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, what do you think about this? And my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, he's wrong. And so we're just, we're going back and forth. And I can tell this guy is getting amped up. Like his, his body language is changing. His voice tone is increasing. It is crescendoing. Uh, that's the only music language that I'm going to give to you musicians here tonight. That's as far as I can get with you. But uh, his voice is reaching places. I'm like, this guy's getting amped. And I know that he's reached his boiling point when he... <laughs> I kid you not, this is exactly what happened. Okay, sitting there, son Noah's playing catch with himself. Wife's right next to me, trying to watch a Good Friday service. This guy looks at me, he points his finger and he says this. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, what do you do with that? I'm a pastor. That's supposed to be my line. What am I going to say? No, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Like, who wins the rebuking? And like, the conversation got weirder from there. He was like, are you prepared to say the seven words? I was like, I am not prepared to say the seven words because I don't know what the seven words are. He's like, if you're not prepared to say the seven words, then you are not a child of God. And I was like, I am too a child of God. Like, I, it, it was crazy. And so then this guy kind of, he, he just left and went into the service. And uh, I was so flustered by what had just happened. I, I told my wife, I was like, let's just leave. So we packed up our stuff. We, the night ended with us sprinting through the parking garage and speeding off in our sweet white Buick minivan because we saw this guy walking towards the garage and no one else was around. We're like, he's coming for us. Uh, <laughs> it was a pretty good Friday, but like it, it was just weird. It's crazy. Now, here's why I tell you that. Okay, there's a point to this story, and I hope you don't miss it. As I thought back on that experience, here's, here's the realization that I had. Okay, that guy believed that he was following Jesus. But I also believed that I was following Jesus. But what if, if you look at what he says it looks like to follow Jesus, and you were to look at what I say it looks like to follow Jesus, it would honestly look like we are following two totally different Jesuses. Like two totally different Jesuses. And I tell you that just because when I think about this room, this room is full of people who would say that they are following Jesus. But if you were to somehow put our lives side by side by side and kind of compare what we each think it looks like to follow Jesus, I just wonder if someone from the outside would look at our lives and say, it's kind of like they're following different people that are all named Jesus. So I think a good question for anyone who follows Jesus, a good question for you to, to ask is this. If you were to take your life and what you believe it looks like to follow Jesus, and you were to lay it over the scriptures based on what Jesus actually says it looks like to follow him, would there be a stark contrast between your life and Jesus' words? And so let me just tell you where I want to go tonight, okay? Uh, I want to spend the evening looking at the life of Judas, okay? Who does that right? Like, when's the last time someone was like, 
Uh, I was just meditating on the life of Judas in my quiet time. It's just a breath of fresh air to my soul. Like, he's kind of my boy. Like, Judas just kind of gets me. Like, no one. But the life of Judas shows us something very important. I hope you don't miss it. Here it is. The, the life of Judas shows us that being around Jesus does not mean that you're following Jesus. So being around Jesus or things of Jesus does not mean that you're following Jesus. And so what if, if you're following anyone, what if you look more like a follower of Judas than Jesus? And so what I want to do tonight is I, I just want to call us all back to following Jesus. If you have a Bible, turn with me tonight to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be as we look at the life of Judas. And as we look at his life, I'm just going to give you three clarifying questions that are really helpful as you seek to distinguish who you are really following. And your answers to these questions will provide the clarity you need to really just shift your focus back onto Christ right here at the end of the semester because where I'm coming from at Texas A&M University, you know, there's tons of students that are passionate about Jesus and at the same time what I see is, is spring fever seeping in from academia to spirituality. And so spring fever is setting in and there are students that are just growing apathetic in their walks with Christ. And so I don't know if that's happening here at Clemson. I don't know if you can feel that spiritual spring fever, but what I want to do is I just want to call us all back to passionately following Jesus, okay? Now, let me just warn you, the names Judas and Jesus uh, sound very similar, so if at any point tonight I give you an opportunity to invite Judas into your heart, don't do it. I'm not sure what would happen, but I just, I don't want to play around with that, all right? So uh, here we go, Matthew 26 is where we're going to start. And it says this in verse 14. It says, Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot. We have to stop right there because those few words are pregnant with meaning. Okay, what does it say? It says, Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot. That actually tells us so much. That tells us that Judas was handpicked by Jesus to spend every moment of every day for about three years with him. So what this tells us is that Judas had front row seats to all of Jesus' messages and all of Jesus' miracles. Like Judas ate hummus with Jesus. Judas had pillow talk with Jesus. Judas spent every single day with Jesus for three years. And yet look at what the text goes on to say. It says, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. How does that happen? How do you go from being one of the twelve, handpicked by Jesus, getting to behold all of his miracles, so Lazarus walking out of a tomb, like dead guy coming to life, saw it, blind man seeing Saw it, like multiplying a few pieces of fish and bread from a kid's like Spider-Man lunchbox and carrying the baskets of food to the multitudes, participated in it, and yet he sought an opportunity to betray him. How is that possible? I'm just going to tell you what I think is happening. 
I think that Judas had intellectual knowledge of who Jesus was and what he could do, but he had no experiential knowledge of who Jesus was and what he could do. Like, here's what I mean by that. Judas had the intellectual knowledge that Jesus was in the business of satisfying the deepest hungers of the soul. The reason I say that is because Judas was there when Jesus first fed 5,000 people, and then the day after that, what did Jesus declare? He declared, I'm the bread of life. So the people who he fed physically and satisfied the hungers in their stomachs, they start pursuing Jesus like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Like, are you planning another meal? And he's like, actually, let's talk about your soul. I'm the bread of life. And what he's saying is, I'm the one and only one who can truly satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Every single person in here has a soul that is hungry for something, whether it's love, acceptance, approval, significance, pleasure, whatever it is, Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy it permanently. And Judas's longings were never Judas never opened up his life for Jesus to invade his own soul and satisfy those longings. Judas had the intellectual knowledge that Jesus was in the business of healing that which was broken. Like he saw the paralyzed people get up. He saw the dead come to life. And yet there was brokenness in Judas's heart that compounded to the point that he betrayed the Son of God and then went and committed suicide. He never allowed Jesus to heal what was broken in his own life. And it kind of brings up the first question, the first clarifying question that I want to encourage you to ask yourself. Here it is. Does your intellectual knowledge have any experiential knowledge? Does your intellectual knowledge have any experiential knowledge? Let me put it this way. Do you know Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? Because those really are Two different things. See, Judas had intellectual knowledge of who Jesus was and what he could do, but he didn't have the experiential knowledge of who Jesus was and what he can do. What we have to remember is if there's information here with no application here that leads to transformation here, we might be fooling ourselves when we say that we're actually following Jesus. It's like this. I just want you to take a minute Uh, and think about your Instagram account and who you enjoy following. So think about that celebrity or that influencer, whoever you follow, not one of your close friends, but someone that you have never met in person, but you always look forward to watching their story. Whoever it is, think about how much you know about that person. Like for some of you, you know exactly what brand of clothes they like to buy or what music they like to listen to or what food they like to eat. You know exactly what they did every single minute of last week and you know so much about them. And yet at the same time, if you were sitting in a coffee shop and that influencer or that celebrity were to walk through the door, you might be that creepy, awkward person smiling and waving at them just instinctively. And when they walk up to you and they're like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and they stick out their hand to introduce themselves. In that moment, you kind of snap back to reality, and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, I am the creeper. Because you don't know me, but I know you. And that would be a lie. Because you don't know them, 
You just know a lot about them. And the same can be true with Jesus. I mean, we can... I mean, you can fill your head with stuff about Jesus. You can come to Clemson FCA every single Thursday night, and you can pack your brain. You can go to Bible studies. You can pack your brain with information. You can go to church on Sunday mornings. But here's the deal. If there is information with no application that leads to transformation, we just need to to make sure that we're not fooling ourselves. Now, Here's the deal. Some of you are like, dude, this guy is intense. Like, if he wants me to question my salvation, check, done. Way to go, man. Let, let me just be clear. Like, that's not my goal tonight. My goal isn't to make you question if God has legitimately done something in your life. What I am trying to do right now is just have a clarifying conversation with a few of you. So let me just ask a few of you. What, what is more true of you? Do you know Jesus or do you know about Jesus? Let me position it different ways because I don't want you to be like, well, I don't know. I think I know him, but maybe I just know about him. Like, let me just ask you, let me ask it a few different ways. Um, which word best associates with Jesus for you? Relationship or religion? Okay, let me ask it a different way. Okay, do you know the Jesus who lived or do you know the Jesus who lives? Here's the difference. The Jesus who lived is the Jesus who, yeah, lived 2,000 years ago. And when he lived, he lived a really virtuous life. And then uh, record tells us, the Bible tells us that he died on a cross for the sins of the world. And now he's kind of become the poster child for this worldwide religion. And I would identify myself with that worldwide religion, but Jesus really has little to no impact or influence on my day-to-day. And if I was honest, I really don't have a desire to become more well-acquainted with him. That's knowing the Jesus who lived. To know the Jesus who lives is to know the Jesus that, yeah, lived 2,000 years ago, and yeah, he died on a cross for the sins of the world, but when he was on that cross, he was on that cross for you. When he died, he was actually being punished for you. Like he took all of your sins and my sins on the cross. When he was put in a tomb, it was because he died so that you wouldn't have to die. And when he walked out of the tomb on the third day, he was conquering Satan's sin and death to make a way for you and for me to be made right in a real and enjoyable relationship with the God of the universe. And when he walked out, on, out of that tomb, he appeared to different people over a 40-day period, and then he ascended into heaven, where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, wanting to have everything to do with your life. He doesn't want to just be your ticket into heaven. One author puts it this way, the gospel, the good news of, trans, the, the good news of Christianity is not just a vehicle of transportation, it is a vehicle for transformation. Meaning that the gospel isn't just what gets us into heaven. It is what makes us new and transforms us every single day. Do you know that Jesus that died for you, that rose for you, that wants to have everything to do with you? If you don't know him, the invitation tonight is to come. To come. Now, 
many of you are like, yes, I know that Jesus. Like, please, let's move on. Okay, well, let me just say this. If I'm honest, just full disclosure, because we'll probably never see each other again, a heart that's well as a heart that tells. I can identify with Judas way more than I'd like to admit. Like, there are times in my life where I have the intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is and what he can do, and yet that experiential knowledge is lacking. Let me give you some examples. Like, like I often have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and yet I still let stress and anxiety flood my soul. Like, I love to be in control. I love to be in control of how my ministry is going. I love to be in control of everything that my kids are doing. I love to be in control of everything. I have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus is the bread of life, that he can satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. And yet I still look to other people for approval. Like there's something in me because I'm standing on a stage in front of lights with a microphone. Any other time somebody's in this setting, what are they doing it for? For the praise of people. And there's some insecurity in me that's like, you know what, I hope that these people kind of like me. All that I'm missing out on is life and wholeness. And so let me just ask you, can you identify with Judas some? Like maybe you have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus is sovereign over all things. And yet you don't trust him with your romantic relationships. Like you still settle for the wrong guys or the wrong girls because you're afraid that you'll be alone. Or maybe you have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus is in the business of healing that which is broken. And yet you still convince yourself that porn is just not that big of a deal, and that's just what college men and women do. And yet he's offering you wholeness. Maybe you have the intellectual knowledge that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but man, you are stressed out and you are anxious because you're a senior and you still don't know what you're going to do after you graduate. All that we're missing out on is life and joy. Don't follow Judas. Let's follow Jesus together. The second clarifying question that I want you to ask yourself is this. Who or what do you need more than Jesus? Who or what do you need more than Jesus? Look back at the text, verse 14. Let me just read you the same thing I read you. Let me just read it again. Listen to what it says. It says, then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Okay, now here's what I want you to notice from the text. Judas is the one who initiated with the chief priests, right? Like the chief priest didn't come to Judas and say, hey, Judas, here's the deal. Uh, we know you've been spending some time with this guy named Jesus. Totally hypothetical scenario. Uh, how do you feel about betrayal? Again, hypothetically speaking, this is just kind of a, like, we're just wondering, would you ever type thing? No. Judas actually seeks them out. And what is the question that Judas asks them? Like, it's in the text. What does he ask them? What is the question? What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? It's a question about money, right? Like, how much is Jesus Christ worth to you? Now, keep that in mind. It's a question about money. And now what I want you to do is I want you to turn over to John chapter 12. Turn over to John chapter 12. 
This happens within just days of Judas going to the chief priests. So just think about that. Happening in the same week, Jesus is is in someone's home and Mary comes and breaks open a very expensive bottle of ointment. Like it's so expensive that it was the most expensive thing in the house. Okay? It was like an heirloom type deal. And she breaks it open and she anoints Jesus with the ointment. And the author gives us insight into Judas's perspective about what she's done. Listen to what it says in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now watch what the author says because John gives us insight into why Judas is pointing out that the ointment could have been sold and given to the poor. Watch this, verse 6. He said this, Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief in having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So put the two stories together. In Matthew 26, Judas goes to the chief priest and what's the question? What's he worth? How much money will you give me? John chapter 12, why wasn't this ointment sold and given to the poor? And the author says he said this because he used to pilfer from Jesus' bank account. Put the two together, what do we find out? Judas was obsessed with money. He was obsessed with money. Money was actually Judas' God. When Judas betrayed Jesus, when he went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me? All he was doing in that moment was declaring which God he believed he needed most. He believed that in order to be truly satisfied, he needed the God of money more than he needed the God of the universe. And because Judas is the antagonist and Jesus is the protagonist, it's easy for us to look at Judas and be like, you're a moron, dude. Like, you're an idiot. But wait, if you think about it, we often declare with either the words that come out of our mouths or just the affections of our heart or the actions of our lives, we declare that we need someone or something more than we need Jesus. Just think about it. Like, what gets the majority of your attention, affection, and allegiance? Like, what do you get lost in thought about often? What truly stresses you out? What keeps you awake at night? What stirs the affections of your heart? It's possible that that person or that thing, at least in this moment, just might be your God. Okay? Let me just, uh, let me do something that I'll most likely really regret. And yes, I did travel on an airplane with all of these things uh, today. Um, I have some mementos from a dating relationship that I was in uh, during my freshman year of college at Texas A&M. I just want to show you some of these things. And let me just clarify and say, this girl, uh, she's not my wife now. She actually never was my wife. I've only been married to Catherine. But this girl's an incredible girl. I have no clue what she's doing. But let me just preface by saying, she's awesome. She's great. There you go. Okay, said it. First, this is a 
a beanie baby she gave me. She sprayed it with her perfume. So, you know, that, you can just kind of sniff it. Uh, this, uh, this is a mouse pad. I probably need to explain what that is because uh, y'all don't use them anymore. But this used to, I didn't play baseball. I don't know why it was baseball. But uh, it has a collage of her pictures in it. And well, I don't need to explain that anymore. So that's that. This is, this is a pillow that has our picture ironed onto it. I don't know if you can see that. Now, let me just pause for a moment and tell you, like, my wife knows I have this stuff, people. <laughs> like, I'm not at home in the corner like, my precious. Like, it's not like that, all right? She knows that I have this stuff. She wonders why I have it, but she knows I have it. Okay, this right here, I better explain what this is, too. This is called a CD. Y'all have not had to use these uh, ever. But uh, this is a CD she made for me. It is titled, For My Perfect Boyfriend. That's this guy. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and uh, then this will make you throw up in your mouth. But uh, this, <laughs> don't you judge me. I'm going to hear it. Okay, you can judge me. This is actually a, uh... <laughs> this is so dumb. That's what this is. This is a printout. And I printed these out. She did not print them for me. This was on my own initiative, people. This is a printout of every message and email conversation that don't you judge me people Jesus loves me and therapy's been very helpful but um <laughs> let me ask you a question how long do you think we dated how long two months two months Two months. We dated two months. Now, here's the deal. I need you to track with me on this. Please, please follow me. We dated two months, and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, no doubt in my mind, for those two months, that girl was absolutely my God. She got all of my attention, all of my affection, and all of my allegiance. She most certainly was my source of joy in life. She, for those two months, was my God. Now, here's the deal. You can totally judge me, and I don't blame you. I kind of judge myself, people. But let me just ask you, what's in your bag? Like, you might not have all this stuff to show for it. But, like, what is in your bag? Maybe for you it is that guy or that girl. And I know you guys love each other, but it's reached a point where you guys can't breathe without each other. Or maybe for you, it's your grades. That you don't know who you would be without your grades. And you don't know if your parents would truly love you like you want to be loved if you didn't have the grades. Or maybe it's a sport. Or maybe it's, it's just your who you are on campus, that everyone knows you and likes you. It's kind of that popularity. It's that, it's that approval. It's that you get everything. You're, you're this in your fraternity or sorority, and you're this at your church, and everyone just thinks the world of you, and you don't know who you would be without it. What is in your bag? It's possible that that person or that thing just might be your 
God. You know what the sad thing is? Is my roommate had to put up with all this junk for those two months. And like if you were to ask him now, he'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, that she was his God, but I couldn't see it. And so maybe one of the best things you can do tonight is to just get with a friend or a roommate and just say, hey, look, am I declaring with my life or my words, am I declaring that I need this thing or this person? Is there anything I'm declaring that I need more than Jesus? Because you know what happened with Judas? He got 30 pieces of silver, and then he went and bought a field and committed suicide. And And we don't know how things played out because the text doesn't tell us, but I just picture Judas getting that 30 pieces of silver and holding it, expecting to feel full. And I just picture him, we don't know if it happened, but I just picture him holding those coins. And I just wonder if in that moment, when he expected to feel full, he felt empty. And I just wonder if something in him thought, I chose the wrong God. You know what? one of the best things you can do is just let Jesus sit back on the throne of your life. Just whatever it is that you're declaring you need more of than Jesus, you just confess it to him. And you know what? What does 1 John 1, 9 tell us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let's follow Jesus, not Judas. The final question that I just want to encourage you to ask yourself is this, is Jesus your rabbi or your Lord? Now, we don't, I don't know the last time you used rabbi in a sentence, but um, we don't use that language a lot. When I say, is Jesus your rabbi, all I mean is, rabbi means teacher, okay? Look back at Matthew 26, look at what happens. Verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 20. It says this, when it was evening, he, that's Jesus, reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. So I just want you to picture this. Jesus is having his last meal with his 12 friends. And he says, guys, I just need to let you know one of you is going to betray me tonight. And it set off this chain reaction around the table where his disciples begin to say, is it I, Lord? And in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, that statement implies a negative response. It's the same thing as them saying, it's not I, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And it gets around to Judas. And what does he say? Is it I, Rabbi? You see it? Eleven of the disciples were responding to Jesus as Lord. Judas was responding to him as Rabbi. Lord means master. Rabbi means teacher. Both were very significant titles. But one was far more significant than the other. They were in the same location physically, but on different planets spiritually. See, to know Jesus or to respond to Jesus as Lord is to see him as your master and king in each area of your life. It's to say, Jesus Christ, you have the right to rule over every single part of my life. 
And wherever you're going, I'm following. And I trust that your way is always the best way, even if I can't see it. Even if my feelings tell me that doing something else will bring me more life and pleasure, I trust you. To respond to Jesus as rabbi is to respond to him as a good source of information, as a good source of teaching and instruction. But if you don't agree with him on certain things, betrayal is always an option. Let me just ask you right now in each area of your life, are you responding to Jesus as rabbi or Lord? And let me just be clear, I'm not talking about salvation right now. Because the Christian life is a lifelong process of submitting your life to his lordship. What I'm just asking you is, are there any areas of your life where you are telling Jesus, no, off limits? Like when it comes to the way that you date, is Jesus your rabbi or is he your lord? When it comes to what you and your friends do on the weekend. Is Jesus your rabbi or your Lord? When it comes to whether or not you will cheat at school, is Jesus your rabbi or is he your Lord? And you can sit there and be like, this guy's so legalistic. No, I'm not. Let's just be clear on what legalism is. Legalism is following rigid rules, believing that following those rigid rules will make God love you more. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling you that God's love for you has not changed and will never change. But what I am telling you is that Jesus Christ doesn't want to just settle for being your ticket into heaven when he is the king of kings and lord of lords and he deserves to rule and reign in every area of your life. And you know what? He is a good king. He is a good king who came that you might have life and have it to the full. So are you responding to Jesus as your rabbi or as your lord? I remember I was on an airplane several years ago, and I looked over, and there was this guy reading his Bible on the plane. I was like, man, that's awesome. Way to go. And I don't know what he was doing. Let me just preface by saying that I don't know what he was doing. I didn't sit there and creep on him, but I, I saw that as he was reading his Bible, he was holding two different utensils. He was holding a highlighter, and he was holding a whiteout pen. And I was like, man, that is so interesting. Sometimes that's our relationship with the Word of God. We want to run to the Word of God and we're like, oh man, God is love. Let's highlight that, baby. Yeah, yes, absolutely. We want to highlight the things that we love. But then there's certain things where it's like Ephesians 5, 3, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any impurity. Man, we got to wipe that out. Man, it's 2021. God is 2000 and late. Like, that just doesn't fit now. Just want to wipe that out. You know what? Uh, as far as it depends on you, this is Romans 12, be at peace with everyone. Forgive. No. Let me wipe that out. Bitterness is my right because of what she did or because of what he did. Let me just tell you, when I talk about just submitting your life to Jesus' lordship, a step of surrender is actually a step towards freedom. Do you realize that? Like a step of surrender is actually a step towards freedom. Because you were made by Jesus. You were made for Jesus. Jesus knows you better than you know you. 
He knows what you need better than you know what you need. He actually knows because he is your inventor. An inventor always knows how the invention works best. Which means he knows what you need to truly be whole. And his invitation is to come and follow me. My goal tonight, friends, has not been to come in here and just beat you over the head and be like, look, you're Judas. You didn't know it, but now you know. Peace out. I'm going back to College Station. That's not the goal. It's just in some ways to be Google Maps, to just say, hey, maybe we need to redirect, like we need to reroute. Maybe we've been, maybe we've been chasing some things. Maybe we've been following Judas. Maybe, maybe we've been settling for intellectual knowledge when Jesus is inviting us to experience and enjoy him. Maybe we've been chasing things, believing that they are what we need when Jesus is who we need most. And maybe we've been trying to rule our lives when Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and our lives are safest in his hands. So let me just ask you, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Judas? Are you going to follow Jesus? Let's pray together. And just with your eyes closed, I just want to ask for you to listen to my voice. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what, when I came here, I knew about Jesus, but I do not know him. And tonight, I want to begin a relationship with him. If that is you, just with your eyes closed, would you slip up your hand so I know who I'm talking to in this place tonight? It's awesome. It's great. If that's you, you can put your hands down. And let me just invite you, just in the quietness of your own heart, just say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Just say, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? And would you begin to lead me in a new life? Just tell him what you want. Say, Jesus, I want a real and enjoyable relationship with you. And then I just want to ask everyone in here, who or what are you declaring that you need more than Jesus? If there's anything that comes to mind, don't go on a witch hunt. But if there's any person or anything that comes to mind, just confess it to the Lord right now. And just experience his, his grace and his forgiveness and his love for you. Just let all of that wash over you. Just feel kind of a weight lifted from your life. And just enjoy his, his kindness in leading you to a moment of repentance. And then let me just encourage you, if there's any areas of your life where you've just been telling Jesus no, where you've been afraid to give an area of your life over to him because you've been afraid with what he would do with it, maybe just tell him that. And then take a step of faith and just say, Lord Jesus, would you rule and reign in my dating relationship? Would you rule and reign in my schoolwork? Would you rule and reign in the way that I talk to my parents? Would you rule and reign in the way that I treat other people? Would you rule and reign in every area of my life?
Lord Jesus, we need you. We love you. We thank you that you are truly a good king. We thank you for all that you've accomplished for us on the cross. We need you, God. We want to follow you. You are worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.